Welcome to the Spirit of Radio podcast with your hosts, AllAccess.com rock editor and 107.7 The Bone San Francisco air personality, Ken Anthony, and voice actor and rock radio personality, Frankie DeVita. Ken and Frankie are passionate about radio and music and how they intersect. With the ever-changing radio and music landscape, they'll chat about the artists, the music, the media, and keep the spirit of radio alive. It's the Spirit of Radio podcast. Now, here's Ken Anthony and Frankie DeVita. Welcome to the Spirit of Radio podcast. I am Frankie DeVita. I'm Ken Anthony. And we have some really great guests today. Uh, Danny Korchmar and Wadi Wachtel, uh, both guitarists extraordinaire, among other things, uh, from their new group, The Immediate Family, which also features drummer Russ Kunkel, bassist Leland Sklar, and also guitarist Steve Postel. Did I get all their names correct? Yeah. Um, so you, in researching you, uh, it's not even possible for me to go over all of your credits and all of your talents because the the lists are endless. So I'm just going to let our listeners know, Google these two men and uh, you'll have probably hours of reading uh, just on their accomplishments. Um, so I've got your album here and you guys recorded it in Jackson Brown's studio, correct? That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you go way back with um, the likes of Jackson Brown and Linda Ronstadt, Don Henley. And my first question is, were you both a part of that whole Laurel Canyon music scene? Uh, Around it. What do you say, Danny? I don't know. We were we worked with everyone in it. Right. Yeah, that's right. I lived there when I first moved. When I first moved to L.A., I lived there for a couple of years. So. uh, uh, I was around there, and, and everyone knew everyone. Uh, so, you know, I guess I guess you could say I was a part of it. And, and like Wad said, we played with everybody from that scene. Mm-hmm. So. What was that community like? I mean, uh, it just it just got such it has such an allure, you know, documentaries and everything about it. What was it? What was it like? Well, I'll tell you. Um, really, um, everyone hung out with everybody else. In other words, you'd see people people you knew knew walking up and down the street. Uh, going to somebody's house and everybody was going to everybody else's houses. Everyone was trading songs and listening to albums. It was all about the music, really. Everyone had a song they wanted to play for you or wanted an album they wanted you to hear or something like that. So uh, that's the kind of scene. It was very open, friendly, um, uh, kind of communal kind of situation. Hey, Danny, let me start with you. Uh, where, where, where did you move to L.A. from? New York City. Okay. And what brought you out here? Um, well, I got I came out because um, I was uh, in New York. I was with uh, the Fugs, actually, a band called the Fugs for a while, the East, a bunch of East Village maniacs that were playing gigs at Greenwich Village. And um, I'd heard about uh, – there was a band called Clear Light that had just lost their guitar player. We either fired him or he quit, and they were looking for someone else. And I'd re- reached kind of a dead end in, in New York. Uh, I was playing these clubs. I was freezing my ass off. Uh, I wasn't doing sessions. Sessions was a really closed scene at that time in New York. So when I got this offer to come join this band, all of whom lived in L.A., uh, I went out there. I said, well, what the hell? I mean, you know, let's go. So that that's what got me out there. What about you, Wadi? I came from New York City also. And uh, <laughs> and it was very similar. Uh, I was I was in Queens. And uh, I couldn't get into the, like Danny said, the, the record scene, the recording scene was completely closed. You couldn't, you couldn't even walk into one of these studios. I, and I didn't even know how to go about doing that. And uh, 
why do you think that why do you think that was it, it, it's it's interesting uh because um you know i've lived in los angeles for about 30 years but it seems like so many of the musicians are not from here uh but they've created this family you know in los angeles musically well la became the place to record you know when we danny and i moved out here almost at the same time he was here a little bit before me i think and uh we walked into the golden age of los angeles i mean it was astounding like i cut out my my, my thing froze there so i had to re-sign in so i missed some of what danny said but i'm i'm sure it was how incredibly open and friendly and warm and musical that period was i mean you you were never uh, without a friend writing something. You were never in the studio without somebody coming by saying, you need any help or just people hanging out with you. You know, we had, with during Zevon's record, we had Danny coming by whenever he wanted, Don Henley and Glenn Fryer sitting around. Can we do anything? No, just have a drink, sit around, you know, sit down. Everybody was always in everybody's music. It was an incredible time. And, uh, wow. Do you feel that nowadays people kind of hold their cards closer to the chest? Oh yeah. When it comes to stuff. Much more so, yeah. Well, everyone records at home first of all, so that has uh, you know lessened the need to go to studios, and it's forced a lot of studios to close because of it. You know. Do you think with the pandemic that's even more the case now, and it will continue that way, or do you think it'll kind of ease up and people will go back into actual studios? Well, it was always, it was always a pretty closed scene before the before the uh, the, yeah. the pandemic. People had already started recording everything at home, and you know there used to be what hundreds of studios uh, mm-hmm. here in LA. Now maybe there's I don't know twenty, you know, and wow. a lot of bands go in there, do everything at home, and then they go into a studio just to record the drums. And that's a very different culture than the one Wadi and I came up in because we recorded everyone in the room together. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was a, a, whole diff- a whole different way of doing things. And you get a different sound that way. And a di- everything is different when, when, when everyone records together. Do you think uh, it's interesting? Uh, I was watching um, a documentary on Hulu about, with Paul McCartney. It's called 321. And I thought it was really fascinating that he said that they used to write, he used to write the songs and had to go right in the studio and record them. And he had to make sure that the songs were memorable so he could remember recording them because they didn't have stuff where he could record the music on. So that's what, what created all these memorable songs. I thought that was a fascinating outlook. Right. Interesting. I thought that was a real interesting comment he made. Um, so let's talk about the album. Uh, I, I, of course, did a 10 questions with you guys for all access. And, and, and it was, you know, the answers were, were fantastic. Um, what made you decide, even though I know the answer to this, what made you guys decide, well, let's go ahead and, and, and form a group and do an album? Uh, well, the thing is that I had gotten a record deal from a Japanese label, a small record deal to make a solo album. And, uh, I said, okay, great. Sure. I'll do that. And I thought about it for a while about who I wanted to play with, you know, and I just assumed that all the fellas that, that are in the band were out, were out on the road because these guys work all the time. These are some of the most in-demand musicians in the world. But amazingly, Russ and Lee were around and were able to come in. We spent three days in the studio uh, with them. The last day, Wadi came in, and that changed everything again. And uh, at that point, it became apparent to me that I just wanted it to be a band, definitely. 
And it just fell into place like that. Remember, we've all known each other for a million years, you know, mm-hmm. and we've all play, been play, played music together for a long, long time. So things tend to happen naturally. There isn't a lot of discussion. There isn't a lot of, of back and forth. There's Things just fall into place musically and in this case with the decision for, the, for it to be a band. Same kind of thing. It just evolved. Yeah, I was, I was reading that um, you guys are very, very, very collaborative. Um, and one quote that I saw, Wadi, uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote you. I know if I turn in something good, the band can turn it into something great. So you guys just all like there's no it, it sounds like the egos are kind of left at the door and you just bring your stuff and say, how how can we do what can we do with this? We are, we are really uh, slaves to the music we get to play. We grew up doing that. So, yeah, when you when you come up in Los Angeles doing records, you leave your ego at the door. You bring all your confidence and your skill with you. But you have to just give everything you have to that song. So after doing that for about 50 years together, that's how we walk in the studio. You know, we hear the song and we go play it. You know, if there's something that someone doesn't like, somebody mentions it or basically we, when you go in the booth and you hear it back over the big speakers, that's who's, that's the dictation. That's who's really producing the record is the speakers. Cause we know. What are you saying is you'll know if it's, if it's rocking or not, you know, if it's in the slot because you listen to it back loud, all of us listen very carefully and it's just obvious. Like I said, there's not a lot of thinking or not. Well, there's a lot of thought, but there isn't a lot of, of, uh, uh, of you know, discussion and, and, and throwing stuff. We, we know if it's rocking or not. We can, you know, we know right away from having spent, as Wad said, a million years um, playing together. Yeah, and that Speaking and that shows time. that speaks volumes for the trust you have in each other as well. Yeah. To like maybe have something that maybe is a sentimental lyric or or something that was in your life that you wrote about, and to bring it in and trust everybody with that. Mm-hmm. is is incredible well you know these guys are you know they're my best friends i've known them for a million years so it's it's a very easy thing to trust these guys with the song also i have a mm-hmm. good idea about what i'm going to want to hear and if if i'm not hearing it i'll suggest this i'll suggest that and so will everyone else you know so mm-hmm. uh, uh it always comes out kind of the way i want and kind of the way we all want so so danny let's let's get into the album a little bit uh you know i've heard it several times uh, uh frankie's heard it and you know, I'm a I'm a a big fan of the um, uh, uh, quote unquote uh, almost like an LA sound. You know, you've got uh, Don Henley, Warren Zevon, Jackson Brown, and everything. And so the music sounded so familiar to me. But really great songs. And starting off with "You Can't Stop Progress," I just think that's just an awesome song to start off. Why that one? Why? I'm sorry. Why have it first? Yes. Uh, I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's <laughs> rocking. It's strong. We wanted something powerful to start the album. And that is a really strong track. You know, I, I think that's <laughs> I don't know how to answer it other than that. It was the loudest, uh, most obnoxious one. You know. There we go. <laughs> okay. That's a good, that's a good reason to put it first. Let's off with a bang, right? Yeah. And it, it's got a strong, strong message inside it. In there. Yeah. It just felt. I felt that. I, I, I thought I heard a little Southern rock in there too, which I thought maybe was a throwback to kind of where the Eagle started. You mean like Southern New York? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Oh, Southern New York. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, God. they were, they were, weren't the Eagles at first kind of thought of in their early, early years to be more of like on the countryside. I guess they had a banjo player in the band, Bernie Leiden played banjo. So I guess that makes <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's why Bernie left because they, 
they went to right. the rock and roll, you know, pop band that they became. And Bernie wanted to stick with the uh, bluegrass influenced country kind of thing. Right. Right. Uh, the guys had other goals in mind. Well, I thought the album was great. I, I uh, in, thoroughly enjoyed it, uh, listening to it in my AirPods last night. But I had a question. You have one called Turn It Up to Ten. Mm-hmm. Now, you, Danny, especially being that you were in Spinal Tap, shouldn't that be 11? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it should be 11. doesn't sing as well. Because it's one more, you know. um how was that experience in spinal tap you did a video or something right yes oh it was incredible uh i'll tell you briefly that um when they were making the movie that i got a call from i think chris guest or or, uh, rob to come down to the (laughs) office to take a look at 20 they'd done 20 minutes of the film already and i had the right haircut at the time so uh (laughs) that's probably the reason they called me and I went down there and, and they showed me, said, well, this is kind of what we're doing here. Take a look. They showed me 20 minutes of the film. I laughed so hard that my my side, my my ribs ached for for two days. I said, I'll do anything to be in this thing. And of course, oh, that's great. And, and every time I mention it's, it's, it's like the zenith of my career. And, you know, <laughs> I mentioned it and people get nuts for, you know, the, the fact that I'm in the film. Well, there's got to be as as musicians. You know, whether you're a musician or not, it's hilarious. But there's got to be, as a musician, you got to look at a movie like that and go, oh, gosh, they've got it so right on. Yes. Correct? Yes, that's right. Painful to yeah. watch. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that. I heard that, that some people took it very personally. Uh, too bad. No sense of you. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sure they can laugh about it now. I hope so. Well, let's talk about another song. Um one that just jumped out to me when I first heard it. And uh, I asked you guys about it in the, in the uh, all access uh, 10 questions. And that's the song divorced. Uh, tell us a, a, about that one. It, it really has, you know, having been through it myself and I was in the Valley when I went through a divorce, it would really, really, it really, really struck a note with me. Um, so tell me about that particular song. Well, I was stuck on a four Oh five. Um, and uh, it occurred to me, I said, oh, I'm dying here. And I went home and, and amazingly wrote the lyrics. That rarely happens with me. Generally, I write the music first. But in this case, I had two verses and a chorus together, which at one point, that's when I called Wadi, of course, to come in and nail it to the, to the floor, which he certainly did. And between the two of us, we finished it up. We added a bridge. Uh, we put the, the, those guitar parts you hear together. We came up with those in like 10 seconds. I mean, we just went right into them, you know. And uh, I started singing along with them, and it just it just fell together. The way uh, when you get lucky, that's what happens, you know. Wadi, do you think because you guys have have played so much together that the time uh, that it takes to finish these things is so much quicker? Well, yeah. I mean, especially when, like Danny just said, the guitar parts just about instantly happened, and that does come from he and I knowing where the other guy won't be, and. Uh, we just grab for a, a section of that neck and it's usually the right choice and uh, it happens very quickly, but yeah, definitely. Yeah, didn't you go ahead? No, I was just going to say it definitely comes from our familiarity with each other. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, uh, did I read this correctly that you uh, recorded this album in three days? We recorded the basic tracks in three days. Yeah. We did pre-production okay. uh, before it a little bit. And uh, we did post-production. Obviously, we wanted to overdub our solos, and the vocals were overdubbed. And so we threw stuff at it afterwards. But the tracks, yes, were recorded very quickly. Yeah. 
That's what you call seasoned pros. There you go. That's what we do. (laughs) What has the response been so far? It's been wonderful. I mean, uh, we're just blown away every day by uh, someone else really digging it. Somebody writing a great review of the record. And we're just uh, uh, counting uh, the days that we can get out and perform it because that's what it's all about. But the response has been overwhelmingly beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I know you guys uh, uh, have have a tour in the works. Uh, that's starting. Uh, is that starting fairly soon? Right. Two months. Two months. Yeah. Where does it start? And, and uh, tell us a little bit about the tour. Uh, where does it start? I guess we, we're doing three dates uh, on this side of the country, uh, near near Los Angeles, and then we're going to the East Coast, and we're doing um, I don't know, playing in New York, playing New Hampshire, we're playing Connecticut, Boston. Uh, you know, just all around the New England area and, and New York City. Yeah, I, I've asked I've asked this question before. Um, there, there's obviously a difference between recording an album and playing music live. Uh, it appears to me some people think that the recording of the album is the laborious part and the playing is the fun part. And other people think just the opposite, that the creation of it is is wonderful, but they enjoy playing it, too. Uh, how would you rate those two aspects, recording it and then going out and playing it live? Well, I think I think recording is basically showing people what you do live. I think it's always been about the live performance. And, uh, you know, the, the extraordinary records that have been made could make one want to go, well, I just want to stay home and record because this is incredible. You couldn't do this on stage. And, you know, like, be, like Brian Wilson, you know, the, uh, the vast catalog of incredible music he's written and produced is overwhelming. But the Beach Boys have been out there on the road performing it for 50 years. And that's, it's always been aimed at the stage, I really think. And the, 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 being in the studio is wonderful and it's a lot of fun and laborious, like you said, but getting it right in the studio is what, what you're hoping for. But every night on stage, you go out there to get it right, you know, and you're going to get it right, especially in this band. It's going to be right. So I think that's, that's the winner, the, the, the onstage live performances. It's my vote. Ken and I both uh, come from rock radio backgrounds, so we, uh, both rock radio DJs. And um, I noticed that uh, on your website, Jim Ladd um, gave you guys a nice quote. He's a he's a friend of ours and also yes. uh, oh, a, a radio hero for me sure. personally. But I want to know what was um, what was the first time you heard yourselves, your your product, your creativity on the radio? Well, I'll tell you uh, a story that I like to tell, which is really knocked me out. Um, we had just put out, Henley had just put out All She Wants to Do is Dance, which is a song that I wrote, that he recorded, and that he and I recorded. And it was a single, and it came out. I was on my way to the studio because we were working on another album. Uh, and uh, it's you know, stuck in traffic on the 101 this time. And um, <laughs> and uh, the guy next to me has his windows open, and he's blasting the radio, and they're blasting that song. All she wants to do is dance. He's banging his head like this, and he's rocking out to the tune. And I'll tell you, that's one of the absolute highlights of my entire life in music. 
was watching somebody else rock out to that song who didn't know I was standing next. He had no skin in the game at all, but he loved it. And <laughs> it really got to me that here I am, wrote this thing. And here is the guy and it's, it's rocking this guy's world. What could be better? Did you, did you get choked up a little bit? No, I don't get choked up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Other people. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. How about you, Wadi? Well, the first time I heard anything I was really doing on the radio, I mean, I did a single uh, a long time ago and, uh, with a producer named Keith Olson, and we went over to KMET. I don't remember if it was Jim Ladd or not, or it might have been Jim in the middle of the night, and he played the record over the radio for us. But that wasn't the same thing. But when I first started working with Linda Ronstadt, I had played on her song, That'll Be the Day. And, mm. and it's not like, I was standing outside of a car talking to somebody and all of a sudden that came on the radio. And I wasn't really, and all of a sudden I heard my Stratocaster solo coming bombing out of this radio. And I hey, that's me. Listen to that. Listen to that fucking guitar. That's great. Oh, fuck. <laughs> but uh, I was blown away, you know, and it, it really made me happy. So that was the- That's first. amazing. What, what great moments. And then, but since then, multiple, multiple, multiple times, like it, I, I'm sure uh, it never gets old, but um, I'm sure you can look back on your careers, even though your careers aren't far from over and just, just have so much pride in everything you've accomplished. Yeah, we're very proud of what we've done. And we're very proud to have worked with the people we've worked with, all of whom are absolutely brilliant. I mean, we're, we're astonishingly lucky to have played with these great, great songwriters and singers which is why we have very high standards for ourselves in terms of what makes a good song and what makes a good vocal, because we work with the best. You know, we're very proud of that, but we're also absolutely thrilled that we now can work on our own music. So, uh, you know, I, I think, Danny, you, you mentioned that you came out here, you were in a band, and I know obviously you guys, uh, um, your your pedigree is just is through the roof, obviously. It, it's very well established, but... Um, why did you have you guys not necessarily uh, decided to do either your own band or, or be in another band collectively through the years? It seems like it's been more the session stuff and the writing. Um, is that would that be accurate? Yeah, it is. It just it didn't happen until it was time for it to happen. You know, I mean, Wadi will tell you at one point I was in a band called The Section. and The Section was a kind of a rock instrumental band. Uh, and uh, I invited Wadi down because I really first of all, I love playing with Wadi. And also I was kind of realizing, I don't know if I really want to, you know, try to compete with John McLaughlin and these guys, which I don't have a prayer mm. in the world. So uh, right. I was thinking if Wadi came down, maybe we'd bend this thing more towards rock and roll. And uh, well, Wadi can tell you the rest, but the fact is that uh, we ended up doing this because we finally got on the same page about wanting to play rock and roll songs, write them and play them. And it just worked out that way. Just the timing was right. Wadi? Well, what, what Danny meant was uh, I came down and played with the guys and uh, they offered me a position in the band and I was thrilled and touched because I love these guys dearly. But I had to say, you know, it's funny because you guys have played on more hit records than anybody in this town, anybody I know, and anybody in this town, all the working musicians. But for some reason, you want to do this kind of music, this instrumental fusion-y kind of rock and roll jazz stuff. I said, I can't do it. I, I can't do that. I said, but if you ever change your minds and you guys want to do songs with vocals and stuff, I'm ready. So now, 45 years later, we're doing it. You know. um, <laughs> right. 
Charlie Watts. Um, it, it, it's, it's interesting how I, I've seen the outpouring of, of, you know, reverence toward him. Quiet guy playing the, the drums in the back there. And of course, you've got an amazing drummer in your band. But tell us a little bit about whether, I'm, uh, whether you've either played with them or your experiences with him, because uh, it's just incredible. I played on the, the Bridges to Babylon Stones album uh, every night for a couple of months. So I spent a lot of time with Charlie. And, uh, aside from being the sweetest person in the world, he was incredible always, every time he stood at the drums. And he wasn't bashing those drums. He played like he played like the gentleman he was, really, but he had a fierce backbeat and a fierce understanding of R and B and rock and roll. But he was an extraordinary person and musician. Danny, you ever had an experience with, with Charlie? I've only met him once, but I would say that uh, Charlie, along with several other great drummers that Wadi and I have played with, like Jim Keltner, Russ Conklin, our band. Yeah. Uh, Vinnie Caliuto. These guys are finesse players. It bothers me to see rock drummers, and I mean rock, not rock and roll, rock drummers, pounding away like they're building a house, like they're banging nails into a two-by-four. They don't need that. The, the PA can do that. The mic microphones can do that. You don't need to flail away like that. And the great drummers, like Charlie Watts, makes a hell of a racket, but he's playing with finesse always. He knows how to make that, that backbeat snap without pounding away, without looking like he's hitting the, the drums with baseball bats. And that's a style I hope that uh, uh, drummers become more aware of. You don't need to pound away. And as a matter of fact, it works against you, really, in terms of uh, uh, how it works with the rest of the band. Well, we're neophytes as musicians, but, but reading the, the comments from people, first of all, I know how much he was a jazz drummer. And I read a book called Sympathy for the Drummer, Why Charlie Watts Matters. And I just loved, you know, the subtlety of it. And, you know, you talk to anybody, drummers are so important, but you know, he was letting Mick and he was letting those guys do all that stuff. But uh, it's just, I, I just, the outpouring has just been incredible. Sure. Well, of course. He's been in our lives. Deserve it. He's been in our lives for about almost 60 years now. So uh, it's very hard to go forward. Uh, Steve Jordan, I would have to say, is the only guy that I could think of that could sit down in Charlie's seat and keep it warm. Well, Frankie, do you remember that question? <laughs> I think it was just about, you know, forming the band now um, versus uh, back then. Um, I think pretty much just the, the biggest differences are that um, you guys just would take cues off each other now in a way um, where uh, like playing live, we were talking about playing live. Um, I remember seeing the Foo Fighters. I just saw them recently, but I saw them a few years back at the forum and I could, and Dave Grohl was out on this, uh, you know, like a catwalk and he looked back and he and, and Taylor Hawkins just kind of could just give each other cues with their eyes. Like just, I mean, you could just see the subtle cues and they would just take it from each other. Are you guys like that when you're on stage, when you're playing live as well? Kind of. Yeah. Uh -huh. There's uh, a lot of communication that goes on either, either physically or, or just, we just know, uh, but yes, there's you know, definitely there's a lot of communication. Remember, we've been playing together forever, you know, so we know how to read each other's minds. I'd say. What? Uh, let's talk. Let's talk about a couple of, if I can, a couple of other songs. Uh, we don't want to keep you guys too much longer. We appreciate your time, but um, you know, Frankie and I were talking this morning. Um, a, a couple of other ones that 
um, not made that way and a thing of the past. Both of those are, mm -hmm. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call them out and out rockers, but just great, great songs. What can you tell us about those? Well, let's see. Uh, not made that way. I wrote that. I wrote. I started that with Stan Lynch, the great Stan Lynch, the drummer, the original drummer with the Heartbreakers, uh, years ago. And we had the the hook. Not not made that way. And the chord progressions that you hear. And I I struggled with it and tried to write lyrics for it. We both did and got nowhere. And then it, it just lay fallow for a long time. And then it kind of popped back up when, uh, especially when I think I actually wrote it before the band started, but. Uh, it's interesting because uh, I'll tell you one thing, which is that um, I wrote the song and then met the woman that I wrote the song about. Wow. 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 Yeah, I really enjoyed A Thing of the Past as well. What, what about that song? That sounds like I wrote it right after getting my ass handed to me in a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> in, in that's not the case. It, it wasn't about a breakup. I had been listening to a lot of Hank Williams and George Jones stuff, and uh, there's an element of that in that, that tune. Of course, we changed the arrangement around to take the uh, the country out of it and make it more of a straight ahead, uh, you know, rock and roll ballad kind of tune. Uh, one one more per, on a per, more personal note here. I'm a Bon Jovi fan. I know you did a lot of work, Danny. Um, can you tell me about that experience and working in that time with uh, John Bon Jovi? Well, yeah, we had a ball doing that. And uh, as soon as I got that gig, I brought all my friends in yeah. <laughs> to play it, including Watt, of course. That's and uh, Randy Jackson, uh, Kenny on drums, Kenny Aronoff on drums. Benmont even came down. And Benmont was just saying, I don't know, Bon Jovi, I don't know. <laughs> but when he got down there, he realized this is fun. Everyone had a ball. I don't. Th I think Bon Jovi had the best time of his life. He, he had yeah, never right. worked with anybody but his own band. And he... Every day, he got more and more excited about playing with us, and had and was and loosened up more and more. That was the whole was blaze of glory uh, thing, correct? Yeah, blaze of glory. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Wadi, uh, I know that uh, you uh, co-wrote and produced a number of songs. Uh, you know, with uh, Warren Zevon. Uh, the, the Warren Zevon songs that you guys did on on the album. Uh, where where did that come from? Was it just more of an homage, or just you know? Things to do in Denver. And, uh, <laughs> it's a great you know. song. Oh, yeah. Thanks. They're just really good songs. I mean, I've always loved his song when Johnny strikes Johnny strikes up the band. So, you know, we and we've done it on stage forever. It's it's just a great song to perform. And Russ Kunkel, Lee Sklar play on the record. And Danny Korchmar is playing Shaker on the record. So, it was a natural decision to play that one. And when we were putting together songs for uh, our next outing i i suggested denver and it's a great <laughs> song to play live it's a and fun it just, song we, I, we played it live before we cut it in the studio i think didn't we danny didn't we we were doing that yes we did time. yeah we played it live a few times yeah yeah that's how we worked I wonder how that goes <laughs> over in denver when you play it what <laughs> <laughs> i wonder how it goes over in denver when you play it, it might, there. yeah it might it might work yeah <laughs> oh i'm sure just saying <laughs> they work to answer that I'd like to add to that by saying that there was nobody, you know, we're also kind of keeping Warren alive too. No, of course not really, but in, yes. in terms of playing his music, there is no one, no one more capable of, uh, and, and more, more uh, equipped to do that than Wadi. So uh, this is our way of, of paying tribute to our dear friend who we all loved him. He was an incredible person and we loved his music. So this is just another way of kind of paying tribute to, to Warren as well. I, I, I sadly have to say, I just read online, I don't know whether it was uh, yesterday would have been um, 
I guess he passed away in 2003 around this time. Uh, and I just couldn't believe that it's been 18 years. Yeah, I saw that too. Yeah. I have one, uh, one last question for you. Um, so you've got a, a documentary coming out about the immediate family uh, due out in 2022 and uh, Denny Tedesco's uh, behind the driver's seat on that one. Can you tell us a little bit about the documentary? Uh, well, it's a, um, we've, they, they interviewed a ton of people that were, that we were close to that we worked with and that we played with. And they have a lot of footage and a lot of stills and a, a ton of material to work with. And uh, it's, you know, obviously it's an incredible story. Here we are 50 years later mm-hmm. starting, basically we're old, but the band is new, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, so th- that's a great story. And I think that's what uh, attracted Denny and the producers to it. And we're very excited about it. You know, obviously this is, you know, I'm going to be thrilled to see it finally. Yeah. Uh, we, haven't, we haven't seen a, a foot of it. We haven't seen anything. How long has it been in the works now? Two years. Oh, wow. Um, And wait. Pandemic slowed it way down. So like everything else. Oh, I'm sure. So um, I know you've answered this probably with some of your other answers, um, but the immediate family that just that name, um, did that come to you quickly? Yeah, Yeah, it did. Uh, you can think of names for rock and roll bands all day long. All, all the good ones have been taken. <laughs> uh, it just occurred to me, immediate family. Now, that's not a great name for a band, really, but it's true. It is exactly what we are, you know. So um, when I, I guess it just popped into my head and I mentioned it. And um, like I said, it's not that great of a name for a band that isn't us, you know. But because it's absolutely true about us, it, it stuck. Well, when you hear about your history and how far you go back, it, and how many times you've played together, it's a, it's very heartfelt. It, it's kind of a, it's a heartfelt name and you can tell that the, um, the lives have intertwined to create that. Right. And, you know, guys, uh, I wanted to kind of, you know, wrap things up from my end and saying is that what's interesting about this is, you know, throughout the years you read about bands uh, bickering and fighting in bands and how it breaks up bands, um, you know, whether it's the Beatles and I mean, there's a, a ton of them by the wayside. Um, it's just really incredible to see how collaborative and how much you guys really care about each other. Well, of course. Yeah. We've known each other forever. You know, we've done all the bickering and fighting we're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> we've forgotten know? it already. And then forgotten it. Exactly. So at this point, you know, we don't argue with each other. There isn't, there isn't that factor, you know, um, that there just isn't because of the years and the, and the time we spent together and the love and respect we have for each other. That's great. That's awesome. Well, I'm sure you guys are itching to get on the road. I hope uh, you guys have a safe and, and, and great time on the road and, um, and everything goes according to plan and nothing gets postponed or canceled or anything like that. Thank you. Yeah. That's been, that's been an issue. I've seen a lot of these tours and stuff and uh, yeah. So we wish you, you know, uh, the best of luck on that on that tour. And I, you're playing right up the road from us at the Canyon Club, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you better be there. Yeah. Oh, of course we're going to be there. Are you there. doing uh, – I think that's what – San Juan Capistrano? November well? or something? Yeah. We are. The Coach House. Yeah, the Coach, coach House. That's, that's closer yeah, that's to Frankie. To <laughs> All right, Frankie. You're on. Right. Come see us. Come see us and hang out. That would be great. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you, well, yes, guys, thank you so much for, for taking the time today. We really like the album. We we, uh, we appreciate the time and uh, look forward to seeing you guys live. Thanks, Joe. 
So thank, thank you to Danny Korchmar, Wadi Wachtel from the immediate family. Uh, get online and Google these guys. There's just so much to read about them. Just, uh, just an amazing history in music. Thank you so much for being on the Spirit of Radio podcast. You can email us at thespiritofradiopodcast at gmail.com. Uh, thanks so much for joining Thank us, you. guys. Take care, guys. I'm Frankie DeVita. I'm Ken Anthony. It's been the Spirit of Radio podcast. Keep the faith. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Spirit of Radio podcast. We'll have another episode coming soon. Please feel free to like, share, or comment. You can reach Ken and Frankie at the Spirit of Radio podcast at gmail.com. The Spirit of Radio podcast, keeping the spirit of radio alive.